is this Jesus, son of God, son of man? His words prevail around the globe, spanning centuries, cities, knowing no sphere of influence? He needed no platform for his words to gain notice. He's the most influential, controversial figure to have ever walked the earth, the most interesting man to ever live and die and live again. Why is he so talked about, so sought after, so loved, yet so disliked? And how does his life impact your life? As we look back at the life and words of Jesus, we'll discover the life that we were designed to live. City First Church family, how are we all doing today? Come on, yeah. Let's give it up for everyone at our City First Anywhere locations, Cape Coral, God Behind Bars, Dixon and Hardy, online and right here, obviously, at the Spring Creek and Saline locations. Uh, thanks for being at church today. And uh, some of you might be joining us right now, actually, in your living room or wherever you're at. We are just so glad that you're a part of the City First Church family. And today, we begin a brand new series, like what you just saw, called Vintage Jesus. And we're going to talk about who is and who was this Jesus. I will tell you he was the most dynamic personality to ever walk the face of the earth, right? He grew up in the middle of nowhere in the Middle East, literally. In fact, uh, historians believe that the city of Nazareth, where he grew up, was no bigger than possibly six square acres to possibly 60 square acres. So we're talking, it was a very, very small place in the middle of nowhere, kind of like he grew up in the sticks, you could say. And uh, you know what? He grew up with no news, no social media, no satellite TV, no way to promote himself on Instagram or TikTok. There was no way of being able to do that, yet he became the biggest influencer in all of history. And 2,000 years later and billions of followers later, he is still the most famous talked about person in the last 2,000 years. In fact, there have been many, many people, entire countries and even empires that have tried to stamp him out and his movement. They've tried to cancel him, erase him, eliminate his words, all of which have failed. He still is around, and guess what? His movement is still growing. In fact, you may not know this, but the fastest growing religion on the face of the planet is still Christianity. I know some people say it's other religions, but if you really look at the real data, it's still Christianity. And so guess what? No other religion can hold a candle to the movement that Jesus started. So, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Because if you go on the internet, you're going to get all kinds of descriptions of him and, and different ways that he's explained. And some of those descriptions are accurate, and many of them are not. And so what we want to do is we want to talk about that during this series. In fact, the one thing I've seen is I've seen that a lot of times in America that we customize Jesus to our preconceived ideas and beliefs and Western thought. In other words, a lot of people will kind of cherry pick certain teachings that he gave and kind of like embrace those but not embrace everything he said. Let me give you a good example. You know, there's a lot of people that say, yes, I love Jesus' command to love your neighbor. But then they disregard the command that he had that said to bless those that persecute you. 
You see, you got to do both. If you're going to follow the real Jesus, you got to do both, right? I'm not saying it's easy, but it's something that we should attempt. A lot of times people will say, oh yeah, love your neighbor, but cancel those that you disagree with. That's not Jesus. In fact, the only canceling that Jesus did was a canceling of sin. He never canceled people. So, you find that in our culture, there's kind of like this kind of customization of Jesus' teaching to fit many times our own belief system. And, and you know what? In America, too, I think that we've made Jesus into a feel-good life coach. Many times we picture him as somebody who tells us that we're special and to go after our dreams. That's Jesus, you know? And can I tell you, that is just only a portion of Jesus. Yes, Jesus champions us, and he helps us, but he is so much more than that. Um, I came across a funny meme um, on Instagram recently that kind of portrayed an American Jesus, kind of like, you know, the way that many times we perceive Jesus, and it's satire. It isn't real. It's a little satire here, but I thought I'd show you a few of their posts. It's kind of funny. Like, here they say, Jesus says, do, you know what your problem is? You don't believe in yourself. You know, and, and so many people think that's what Jesus would say, but again, it's satire. All right, here's another one. Your truth will set you free. Not what Jesus said. All right, another thing. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, but never make anyone feel uncomfortable, Jesus would say to his followers, according to this satire. Or here's one. This would have been for 2020. Jesus would say, politics would save you. Here's another one. Once you become a Christian, you'll never have another problem again. I'll make all your problems go away. Or the last one, and oh, this one seems to have an element of truth. After I ascend to heaven, the church will become apostate. And when the internet appears 2,000 years from now, people will slowly begin to understand what I was trying to say all along, right? You know, this, again, is satire, but it's kind of funny because we're seeing that in, in our world today. And so who is this real Jesus? Who is this real Jesus? And what are his instructions on how to live? How does that impact you and I? Well, start off, he wasn't just a good person, and he wasn't just a good prophet, and he wasn't just a good idea uh, or, or a good guy or make good sayings or statements that we put on bumper stickers. He was more than that. In, in fact, if he was only those things, he would have never been crucified because he would have never been controversial. But instead, the reason he was killed is because he kept on saying that he was the Messiah. Now that word meant basically this, that he was divine. He walked around and said, I'm God. I'm God. I'm not just a human being, but I'm actually God. In fact, you know what? This is what got him crucified. I love what an author by the name of Dorothy Sayers wrote. And many, many years ago, in fact, I've used this quote multiple times because I just love it. I think it's pretty accurate. She said this. She goes, to do them justice, the people who crucified Jesus did not do so because he was a bore. Quite the contrary. He was too dynamic to be safe. It has been left for later generations to muffle up that shattering personality and surround him with an atmosphere of tedium. We have declawed the line of Judah and made him a house cat for pale priests and pious old ladies. 
I love what Dorothy said because I think that is absolutely true. We have taken the personality, the person of Jesus, and we have customized him into this safe, lovey-dovey, teddy bear kind of a person. If he was really that, he would have never been crucified. He was much more than that. He was God, and he said things that made people somewhat uneasy and kind of threw things off kilter and, and turned, in a sense, the religious group of that day kind of upside down. He was crucified because he said he was the son of God, and he said this. He goes, I am the only way, he said. There, there was exclusivity about his teaching. His teaching was not pluralistic. He did not say there's many ways to find acceptance in God. He did not say, hey, do whatever you want to do. Discover yourself. Be who you want to be. And guess what? I'm going to just say it's okay. But no, he said this. He goes, there's a certain way that you will find acceptance from God. And he goes, I'm the only way to salvation. It's not me plus someone else, me plus other things. He said that he loved us so much that he would die for our sin because we can't do anything to crawl out of our hopeless, broken lives, right? He, you can give that a round of applause. Some of you are like, oh, I want to applaud that. It's true. He said that he would pay the full price. When he said it is finished on the cross, what that meant is it's complete, that his, his death was complete for our sin. That he would rescue us from this hopelessly broken world. But he also said, and again I'm paraphrasing, but he said in turn, we would have to give him our lives. That we would surrender to him. Because guess what? It's a great exchange. That we give him our lives and he gives us eternal life. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us grace that is truly amazing. He gives us mercy and purpose and all of these things. Restoration. He gives us freedom, but we give him our life. Our lives are no longer our own. You understand that? That once we make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of our life, guess what? He owns our lives because he purchased our lives on the cross when he died for our sin. And this pushed really hard against the culture of his day. In fact, it rubbed some people really, really wrong. So much so that they falsely accused him. They gave him a kangaroo trial. They put him on a cross and they crucified him and they killed him. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, and we celebrate Easter every year to recognize his. He rose from the dead, and it's so interesting. In taking and coming back to life, he fulfills the promise that he said. Because you know what? If somebody says, I'm going to live, and then I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back to life, and then they live, and they die, and they come back to life, guess what? We should probably listen to that person, right? That that isn't just somebody with good ideas. That's somebody who's more than just a Pinterest moment kind of thing, you know? This is something more than just a feel-good saying, but rather his commands are life, and the way he instructs us to live is life, and through him we find eternal life. And so you look at this and you go, well, 2,000 years later, here in 2021, what do we do with this information? Love Jesus hate Jesus, think he was speaking truth, think he was a charlatan. Whatever you think, you cannot ignore him. 
He is a force to be reckoned with 2,000 years later that he is God and his movement called the church still continues even in countries where the country has tried to snuff it out. No one 2,000 years ago ever thought that the Roman Empire would ever go away. And yet, it went away even though it tried to eliminate Jesus and the followers of Jesus and the movement of Jesus. And yet, 2,000 years later, Jesus and his movement still exist and the Roman Empire is long gone. No one, no one would have predicted in the 20th century that the USSR would go away and yet this country tried to stamp out the name of Jesus and the movement of Jesus and guess what here we are a hundred years later and guess what Jesus is still around and USSR is an afterthought probably the biggest political failure in all of the 20th century so here's the thing what do we do with this because I believe that we should look and we should say, if Jesus is really who he said he was, and look at this movement that started in the backwoods sticks of the Middle East that has spread literally around the world, billions and billions of people, maybe we should pay attention and maybe we should listen to the words of Jesus and the actions of Jesus and the stories that he told. Because... It'll inform us as to how we are to live. These stories, by the way, he told a lot of stories, you know. He never preached a three-point sermon, by the way. And he never did an expository teaching, for those of you that know what that means. He never did any of that. Instead, he told stories. He told stories about how the kingdom of God works. In other words, how God's way of living worked. And these stories are called parables. And the Greek words for, for parable, it's para, which means near, Balo, which means to bring. So these stories bring near the kingdom of God to our lives. If we listen to the stories of Jesus and how he told these stories, we can learn how to live. And so what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the words and the actions and the stories of Jesus in this series. And today, in the remaining time that we have together, I want to talk about a parable that Jesus taught that's kind of like, for those of you that like, you know, grew up in maybe the 70s or the 80s or whatever, you remember vinyl, all right? Remember when you used to have to have a record player? I, I still think that's the best way to listen to music personally, but I'm old. Uh, but I will tell you this. These are the B-side parables that I want to talk about. In other words, these aren't like the, the hits, like the, you know, the prodigal son, the ones that everyone's heard. Today I want to talk about a B-side, a B-side parable, and it's a parable of the weeds and the wheat. The weeds and the wheat. Now, some of you may have never even heard the story of Jesus before. But he told this story, and, and you know, it hasn't been preached on much, but, but I will tell you that it's a, a very powerful story. And um, before I begin it, I just have a question here. How many of you would say that you have uh, what my grandpa used to call a green thumb? Anybody know what a green thumb means? That you're good with gardening, farming, that kind of thing, right? How many of you are pretty good with that? How many of you have house plants and they actually live for more than a month, right? Okay. Um, you know, well, I will tell you, I don't have a green thumb. Um, the whole idea of gardening and weeding and planting and fertilizing just seems exhausting to me. Um, and, and I will, you know, even, even a couple weeks ago, uh, Jen and I got rid of all of the weeds in our flower beds in our front yard. And guess what came back a week later? All the weeds. Like there were dandelions and thistles and these green demonic things that were sprouting up. I mean, you know, it's just like, 
uh, you just can't get rid of them. They keep coming back over and over and over again. And Jesus was talking about weeds in this parable. So for those of you that are gardeners or farmers, you're going to resonate with this because, again, Jesus grew up in an agrarian society, and so a lot of his stories deal with things like wheat and seeds and sheep and things like that that, you know, farmers would understand. And so in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, if you have your Bibles, you can turn them open to Matthew 13, 24. If you don't have a Bible, we want to get you one, by the way, on the way out the door. Um, feel free to go to a Next Step booth. We'll give you a free Bible. Or you can get on your app, and there's a wonderful, um, like, app there called YouVersion, Y-O-U, YouVersion, um, that's an online Bible app. Or you can go to the City First app, and the, uh, the scriptures will be on there as well as on the screen. Verse 24, here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, the enemy came and planted weeds, weeds among the wheat. So I'm just telling you right there, here's the theology. Every weed is from the devil. All right, anyway, weeds among the wheat then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? Listen to the, what the farmer said. An enemy has done this. So the farmer's like, this is not just normal weeds. An enemy has done this. Should we pull out, or should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them to put the wheat in the barn. So, so here's the thing. I actually like what the farmer says here when he talks about weeds. Let them grow. Wouldn't that be a lot easier? <laughs> Just let them grow. Jesus is saying in the story, the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the way that we should live a truth, many truths, are founded in this story. So a farmer plants wheat. It is good seed. So what the farmer plants is good. And while the workers are sleeping, an enemy comes and plants weeds in the same field. And eventually the wheat begin to grow and so do the weeds. And the workers are all freaked out. And the farmer says, you know, something really strange. He says, let the weeds grow. And then when the wheat is fully matured, at that point, the wheat is harvested, and the weeds are also, in a sense, harvested and burned. So thank you for coming today to City First. Go and do likewise. We'll see you later, all right? See, if, if there's a part of you, like, um, I don't get it. I don't understand. What is Jesus talking about? Well, you are not in bad company because in verse 36, the disciples are also confused. It says this, Then, leaving the crowds inside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, Please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Like, they're all scratching their heads, just like all of us. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? Verse 37, Jesus replied, The Son of Man is the farmer who plants the good seed. So Jesus is breaking it down here. The field is the world. The good seed represents the people of the kingdom. In other words, people like you and I that are Christ followers. The weeds are people who belong to the evil one. Isn't that interesting? The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. 
The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Wow. Jesus made it really heavy all of a sudden, right? I mean, this is where it gets real. Jesus is like, you want an explanation? Okay, I'll tell you the explanation. And he starts talking about all the characters that are in this story. And guess what? It's heavy. Jesus spells it out in elementary verbiage. And ba basically, Jesus is talking about the end of the world. He's talking about eternity and what's going to happen. Jesus makes it very clear that there are two opposing forces at work in this world. That there's a God who's going to do everything he can and is putting forth effort to be able to do good. And that there is a devil that is putting forth effort to do everything he can to make sure things are full of evil. You know, it's kind of interesting. I've been... Um, I've been preaching now for right around 30 years. And um, whenever in the last 30 years that I've ever preached about God's love, people always are like amening and they're leaning in. And then if I ever preach a sermon, like even today where I mention, you know, that there is a real Satan, that there's a real devil, many times people kind of look at me kind of like, oh, you're a little weird. You know, isn't it weird that we could talk about a God and somehow intuitively know that there is a God out there. But then we start talking about an enemy and we're like, oh, that's kind of a bridge too far, right? And, and, and we start talking about the devil many times. People think of this picture. Like he's a little red guy with a pitchfork. Well, like this is the devil. But the minute you start talking about like this guy and, and you start talking about him being a little bit more vicious than what this picture shows, then at that point, people look at you and go, oh, you're kind of one of those weird kind of people, you know? But Jesus makes it very clear that the enemy, meaning the devil, has a mission to sabotage God's work, not only in this world, but also, guess what, in your life and in mine. The devil doesn't just sit around and poke people in the butt with a pitchfork. He doesn't just kind of, you know, do little things here and there. But rather, Jesus paints the enemy as incredibly strategic, cunning, and vindictive with his work. He's stealth. He comes at night, and he plants weeds in the wheat. At night, the workers, while they're sleeping, the enemy is at work. At night, when no one is watching, the enemy attempted to sabotage the work of God. He comes in a very stealth way. He isn't some little gnat that buzzes around your ear and is an irritant. But rather, he is absolutely hell-bent on screwing your life up for all eternity. You hear that? The enemy wants to completely destroy you. He wants to destroy me. Jesus says the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your destiny. If he could, he'd kill you. 
You see, I'm telling you, he is very much our foe. He's smarter than us, he's very powerful, and he has a wicked ability to entrance us like a tractor beam and pull us into his traps. I know some of you are like going, okay, you've, you've kind of gotten a little weird on us, Jared, today. Come back next week, I won't be as weird. But today, I'll tell you, this isn't weird, this is true. There's an enemy that hates you. I have three boys. You want to really get at me? Screw around with my kids. Mess with my kids. You know how the enemy is getting back to God the Father? Messing with his kids. Hear that? So guess what? He is at work constantly. And many times people just don't notice it. In fact, I would say most people are ignorant of the fact that the enemy is at work in their lives and in this world. I mean, you know, we think what's happening in the Middle East right now. You know, they're firing rockets at each other, right? Have you read the news this week? We think that's just politics. Or we even think that that's just human religion. No. That's the enemy at work. Wherever you find heartache, pain, war, hatred, or any of those things, the enemy is at work. In fact, uh, many years ago, it was in the 90s, this was before I had a smartphone. And I think it was like in the, uh, in the, in the, in the StarTac uh, era. Remember the StarTac, the little flip phone? I think I had one of those. So it didn't have a camera on it. It was, you know... Motorola StarTac, and, and we were uh, on a missions trip, Jen and I were there, and, and we went to Amsterdam um, in, in uh, the Netherlands, the, 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 the homeland for me, I'm Dutch, so, you know, we were there, and, and uh, we were talking to the missionary, and the missionary said, hey, listen, would you and the team um, like to go on a brief tour, and I promise we won't go into, like, real, the, real seedy areas, but a brief tour of the red light district here, because you're going to be doing ministry outside the red light district, and um, I think it's good for you guys to see it, and I said, sure, we'll go, and so, you know, the red light district, for those of you that don't know, that is actually, at least it was, I don't know if it still is, it was the biggest red light district in the world at that time. And people from all over the world would go to the Amsterdam and basically um, pay for sexual pleasures um, to be serviced by thousands and thousands of people that were humanly trafficked or were in human trafficking. And uh, it, is, it is more evil than what you could ever imagine. Um, it, is, it, it has a, a yuck feel in your gut like something I cannot explain. And uh, so we were walking through this portion of the red light district, and all of a sudden I look over to my left, and I see this church. And the church was no longer a church. It actually had been abandoned. It turned into an expo center where now you could rent it out for, like, events and things like that. And it's right in the middle of the red light district. And I remember stopping as the little tour group kept on walking, and I stopped, and I took a picture of it, which is why I'm saying that I had a StarTech, because I... I couldn't take a picture with my phone. And so it is a physical picture, and I can't find it. I tried to find it this week. But it was this moment, I remember, it is ingrained in my memory as I looked at this old church that was built hundreds of years before, a beautiful church. It was no longer a church. It was like a community center where they just would hold events and things like that. And I thought to myself, what happened here? I mean, what happened here? Like, where's the power of the gospel? Where, where's the light of Jesus? Was the light of Jesus snuffed out by the red lights? I mean, here we have a church that no longer is functioning. And, and here we have a picture of the church that failed and was defeated 
by the enemy. I mean, I, I just, I, I, I literally became to this point where I, I started to get tears in my eyes. I'm like, God, what happened to your church? Did they get so focused on the types of songs they were singing and the color of the pews and what kind of stained glass windows should go in the walls that they argued and bickered about all these things as literally feet outside of their door. There were be people being trafficked and they got so inward and so self-focused that literally the enemy planted all these weeds until finally the weeds overtook the wheat and they closed their doors. I mean, like, literally, I was just like, oh, God. See, that's how the enemy works. He's stealth. He works in the night of our lives. He gets us sidetracked and distracted and things like that. You know, Jesus made it clear. Jesus made it clear that the weeds in his story were people used by the enemy. Oh, is this politically incorrect or what? Because we live in a society that we don't want anybody to feel bad. And here's Jesus saying, people can be used by the devil. I know I say that, and no one's going, amen, because if you said amen, everybody in the room would probably be like, oh, what's that guy doing, you know? Because we don't want to go there, but Jesus is saying, yes, yes, people can be used by the enemy. In fact, they can become so blinded. They aren't the enemy. Here, the person is not the enemy. The enemy is using the person in your life and in mine in your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, even in a church. That the enemy can use a person. I, I mean, this is the real Jesus, the vintage Jesus, giving us a story about how we live. Because here's the thing. What he's saying is, is you're always going to have weeds in your life. There's going to be wheat and there's going to be weeds. There's going to be people in your, in your life that are trying to promote faith and help you with faith. And there's going to be people in your life that are trying to tear down your faith. There's going to be people that the enemy uses to hurt you, to distract you, to tempt you. And then there's going to be other people that God is going to use. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we literally are in a war. I, I know like you're like, oh man, you're sounding so fanatical Talk to the one who said it. Don't talk to I'm just a messenger, okay? Because here's the thing. There is a real war for your soul. And eternity is at stake. Sometimes the enemy even uses Christians. Some of you are watching right now. You got church hurt. You're like, maybe you're watching online. You're kind of like peeking in the window here. Is City First legit? Or, or are they kind of one of those weird churches that are going to hurt me like that church I went to? I mean, you're, you're thinking that right now. Listen, can I tell you, sometimes the enemy even uses Christians. He uses people and they, 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 they get sidetracked or sideways and they start doing things that aren't very Christ-like and then it impacts other people like you. So you know what this story is saying? We have to be careful about who we allow up close to us. That doesn't mean that we ignore people who are far from faith. It doesn't mean we don't love people that even the enemy is using. That's huge. We love the people that even the enemy is using because we realize the enemy is not the person. The enemy is the enemy, right? So here's the thing. I have a question. Who do you surround yourself with? Do these people bring you 
closer or draw you further away from God and his way of living? Do these people bring out more of God in you? Or do they bring out less of God in you? Jesus says the farmer in the end is going to bind together all the weeds and is going to harvest all the wheat. And, and, and here's the thing. It's, there's a separation. Really, people fall into two categories in our lives. Those that help our faith, those that hurt our faith. I know you're like, oh, that's super simple and that seems super judgy, Jeremy. Why are you being so judgy today? Again, there is a separation, Jesus says, between the good seed that turned into wheat and the bad seed that turned into weeds. And the more mature you become in Christ, the more you begin to discern, man, who should I let up close to me? I'm talking like the people that help shape your worldview, your thoughts, like help shape your convictions. Those should be people that are of good seed. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean that you would nor, or you don't associate with the people who, in a sense, are bad seed. Because Jesus did that. Jesus reached out to the people who are far from faith, right? So, so listen, it isn't that you don't love and you don't reach out and you don't associate with them. But this is the thing. you got to decide who's in your inner circle. The ones that actually shape you. Where do you find the right kind of people? The good seed kind of people? Well, I say this all the time, the best place, the, the, the place you're going to have the most amount of, like, success, your best chances, in a church. In a church. Now, some of you are like going, well, man, there's some, there's some bad seed in churches. Yeah, you're right. There are. And, and you know what I say this all the time? Churches aren't perfect. City First is not perfect. In fact, a lot of times, there's even a movement right now kind of in culture, especially in America. It's kind of like, I love Jesus. I hate the church. Bill Maher uh, says it, he doesn't profess to be a person of faith, but he, he says this, he goes, I, I, I like Jesus, I just don't like the people who work for him. And I get that, as a person who works for Jesus. Okay, I get it. Because, here's the thing, in churches, no matter what church it is, in churches there's a lot of imperfection. And so, isn't it interesting that the enemy would sell us this lie that the very place where you find the right kind of friends is the very place that hurts you or you should avoid. Isn't that interesting? Almost feels strategic. There is a uh, message. I don't have time to go off on this because I'm actually going to wrap here in a couple minutes. But, you know, there is a whole message I did about church hurt, and it was called Trust Issues, Jesus t-shirts. If you go to our app or our website, you can look in the archives of messages, and it's called Trust Issues, Jesus t-shirts. Watch that, and it goes into a lot more detail on how God can give you the ability to look past what other people who say they're Christians have done to you, and how you can find the real Jesus, and how he will never betray you. All right? So watch that, all right? But Jesus is very clear that within a faith community, is where we must gather together because there's going to be a lot of weeds in our life. And um, there's this verse in Hebrews, and it says this. It says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. 
Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. You can't motivate yourself in isolation. So therefore, that's why we need the church, to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together. In fact, he, the author goes as far as to say, don't neglect meeting, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return, meaning the Lord's return, is drawing near. We need each other. So what does this parable mean? It means in our lives, we need to be very, very aware and very strategic about who we let up close to us because there's going to be good seed in our lives and there's going to be bad seed people in our lives and we love everyone hear that we love everyone and we reach out to everyone but the ones that are close up to us those that are in the inner circle, you could say, that really shape our worldview. Show me your friends, I'll show your future, right? Those people need to be people who are in like faith, that champion the cause of Jesus in our lives. Because before you fall out of church, many times you surround yourself with the wrong people. I, I've watched it now for 30 years. People fall out of faith because they fall out of church because they surround themselves with the wrong people. So we need to be intentional about this. And where do you find the right people? Well, get involved in a life group and, and, and get involved in a serve team. And you got to put forth effort. Um, you're not going to just be surrounded by the right people by default. Show up on weekends. Be here. The more you start to form friendships, the more that you begin to discern, yes, you know what? That person, I, I think I can be up close to them and, and I can, you know, learn from them and they can help me. So let's do that, okay? Because all eternity is at stake. It's really true. Let's go ahead and pray before we close, all right? Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would help us to be surrounded by the right people, but also to seek out the right people. Lord, may we realize that sometimes the enemy places the wrong people in our lives to draw us away, to distract us, to help us fall out of church or out of faith, to make us question all kinds of things. Lord, I pray that we would just have great discernment and wisdom in who we surround ourselves with in our inner circle. And Lord, we want to love everybody, even the ones that the enemy sometimes uses in our lives. We want to love them. We want to reach them. Someday we hope that they find faith, maybe even because of our witness. But God, May we be aware that our soul really is in a tug of war. <laughs> Lord, you want us to be surrounded by the right people and in the right environments and growing in faith. But the enemy wants to distract that and sabotage it. Help us be aware of that and make right choices. You know, before we go ahead and I say amen, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I talked a little bit today about Jesus' words about really heaven and hell. In fact, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you might say, man, when, when you read that, Jeremy, the words of Jesus, there was a little knot in my gut or a lump in my throat because you're not sure if you were to die today where you would go. Well, I'll tell you, there is a way that you could be assured today 
I'm going to say a prayer and you can repeat it after me and the whole room's going to repeat it and every room watching right now is going to repeat it and you can invite Jesus to become the leader and the forgiver of your life. What that means is, is that he forgives you of everything you've done wrong and you say, Jesus, I want you to be in charge. And guess what? Not only does he give you forgiveness and hope and purpose and all these things on this side of eternity, but heaven is your home someday. Heaven is your home someday. And if you want that, you're not joining a church today. This is not joining City First. You're joining the family of God. So if you say, I want to pray that prayer. I want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life, leader and forgiver of my life. Just shoot your hand up real quick and put it right back down. Anybody? Yep, hands up everywhere, everywhere. I guarantee you at every auditorium, even in your living room right now, right? So with your hands put down, let's go ahead and everybody, I mean, even if you've already prayed this prayer before, everybody say this prayer after me, all right? Jesus. I come to you today and I ask for forgiveness for all my sin. I repent of my wrongdoing. I want to live for you. Come into my life. Thank you for your unconditional love. Today, I make you the leader of my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Can we go ahead and give God our praise, all right?